0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Before all of this happened in March, I was teaching on faith. Now, here lately, I've been teaching on I've been teaching on the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much to say about the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, he is such a, an a inexhaustible uh, source of, of wonder and amazement. He does so much for us. So we have only begun to talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There is so much more. But the Holy Spirit, who we follow as our, as our guide, he led me to take the next couple of weeks at least and, and talk about faith again. Because we live by faith. Amen. And everything that we encounter these days, you can see the importance of living by faith. Uh, as you confront just the, 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 the news and the situations you know, that we find ourselves in. And so the last time we were together and talking about faith was, the, was in March. And uh, I was talking about the importance of the confession of faith. Now, faith's confession, the confession of faith was a very important and very uh, predominant topic and teaching in the early days of our movement, of the Word of Faith movement. There was a lot of, of preaching and teaching on the importance of our confession. And uh, people greatly, in, in our movement, greatly understood its importance. But because things that, that we do and say can become, uh, by, repeti- by repetition, things can, can lose their significance and become almost legalistic in practice. And because of that, there, after a few years, there was sort of a, a pulling back from emphasizing confession so much because people had gotten into the habit of wanting to correct everybody else's confession and, uh, and correct what everybody else was saying and hold people accountable. Oh, I wouldn't say that. You better not say that. And uh, confession is not so much about what you shouldn't say. Now, there, are, there is a truth in that you shouldn't say things that are contrary to the word of God. But, the, but the, the message of confession is not negative, it's positive. It's about what you should be saying because there's power in what we say, amen. 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 So with that in mind, we're gonna just kind of uh, hit some uh, things that we covered last time. but it has been a few months. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, not Hebrews chapter 14, Hebrews chapter four. Some of you have short memories. The last time I taught on this, I invited you to turn to Hebrews chapter 14. There is no 14th chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hallelujah. Well, we didn't pray before we got started, so let's do that. Father, we thank you for the entrance of your word into our heart today. We know, Father, that your word is alive. It's powerful It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Father, we know that there is nothing that your word doesn't lay bare. There's nothing that your word doesn't illuminate and enlighten and expose. So Father, there is a searching of your word. And so today, Lord, we submit to the word of God that it would search us and reveal things in us, areas where we can take a step higher in walking with you, areas where we can do better, areas where we can lay some things aside and pick up some things that we should be doing. Father, we expect the Word to help us today. And the Holy Spirit is the agent who takes this word and reveals it to us. He takes the words of Jesus. He takes your words, Father. He takes the word of God and and reveals it to our hearts and inspires us, shows us how it applies to us. And so we're thankful today for the Spirit and the word of God. While we're praying today, we pray for those who are in authority. We pray for our president. We pray for Uh, his administration we pray for our vice president we pray for all of those in the executive branch in washington dc that your hand would be upon them be upon donald trump and and vice president pence and all of those father in the executive branch have your hand upon their lives guide and direct them father encourage them strengthen them enable them to do what is good father we pray for the legislature father the house and the senate We pray for the Supreme Court, all of the justices on the Supreme Court. We know, Father, they don't always do right. They don't always make decisions that are in line with the Word of God. But we're praying for them. We're praying for them, Father, that you would move on their hearts, every one of them, Father, to do what is right according to the Word of God. We pray for our state and local governments, Father, every man and woman who serves in places of authority. Father, that your hand would be upon them, help them, bless them, uh, strengthen them, enable them to do good, to do what's right, Father, to make just decisions. Decisions, Father, that that honor the word of God, that honor the Bible, that honor the things of God. Father, we thank you for that. We pray, Father, again today, for all of our military and all of our law enforcement. Those, Father, who are... Uh, tasked with the job of keeping us safe. We pray for every man and woman in these capacities, Father, that your hand of protection would be upon them. As you give them wisdom and, and encouragement, Father, encourage their hearts, strengthen them, help them to, to do what's right and what's good in every situation. In those crisis moments, Father, where decisions have to be made uh, on, on the, uh, on, in a split second, Father, we ask you to give them enlightenment and help them to do the right thing, Father. We thank you for every one of them. We thank you for our leaders We thank you, Father, for this great nation that we live in and the ability and the freedom that we have to stand today and to proclaim the Word of God and to sit and hear and listen what the Spirit is saying today. And so we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So like I said, we're talking about the confession of faith. And we have turned to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast. This is is not weak language. This is strong language. This is telling us that we need to be serious about our confession. We need, if if you're instructed to hold fast to something, that's usually an assumption or an indication that there is something opposing you holding fast to it. That there is some temptation or some pressure to turn loose of something, otherwise you wouldn't be told to hold fast to it. Isn't that right? And so we're to hold fast to our confession. Now, we discovered this in, in previous sessions that Uh, Most people, when they think of confession, at least in the sense of the Bible, in the sense of religion, when people think of confession, most people, I would, and and there's no scientific study, but I'll just throw a number out there, I I think probably high 90s percentile uh, of, of people, if you ask them what does it mean to confess, they'll say to admit to sin or some wrongdoing or some wrong action. So there's there's that side of confession, but that's only one side of confession. That's the negative side, and I don't mean it in the sense that it's a bad side. It's a good side, but it is a negative side. There is a positive side to confession. We found out looking through the Bible that in the New Testament, in the documents of the New Testament, there are four distinct kinds of confession. The first one really doesn't apply to the church age at all. The first kind of confession we find in the New Testament is early on in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whenever... Uh, John the Baptist went out preaching, you know, before uh, Jesus came on the scene. The Bible says that he preached uh, a baptism of repentance. He would go out and preach. And it says that the Jews would come to him from Jerusalem and Judea and all the area around about. And it said they would come to him to the Jordan River where he would baptize them. And they came confessing their sins, So there is the confession of sins in in that example. But even though it's in the New Testament, you understand that a lot of that happened in the early parts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, all of that really is under the old covenant because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So the Jews were still living under the old covenant. They were still living under the law. They were still under, uh, living under the practices and the observations and, and the traditions of the law. And so even though it's in the New Testament, it wasn't really a New Testament experience in terms, it wasn't a New Covenant experience. Put it that way. It doesn't really belong to the church age. So really, when, when John preached this baptism of repentance, and people came confessing their sins, that really doesn't apply to us at all. So we can leave that first one completely aside. That was something the Jews did under the old covenant doesn't apply to us at all. So that leaves three kinds of, of confessions in the New Testament that apply today. The first one, of course, is the sinner's confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans, the 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10. Praise the Lord. If you love the Lord today, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Praise Romans chapter 10. Verse number 9 and 10 are so important to understanding how faith works. I said, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 are so important. They are critical in the understanding of how our active faith actually works. Verse number nine says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want you to notice that this confession doesn't mention the confession of sin at all. This is not a confession of sin. It says in verse nine that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a lot of people don't understand, most Christians don't really understand it. And that is that, in order for a person to be saved, they do not confess their sins to God in order to be saved. If we had to confess our sins in order to be saved, most of us don't have that good of a memory. How in the world could a sinner come to Christ? I don't care how young or old they are. How could a sinner come to Christ and remember all of his sins? And if we have to confess our sins to be saved, then what if we forgot two or three hundred of them? I started to say one or two, but it'd be far more than that. I mean, how, how, could you, how could you remember them? And if you didn't confess them all, if you have to confess any of them, you'd have to confess all of them. And in and, and the Bible doesn't teach confessing our sins as a general thing. The Bible teaches the confession of our individual sins. How in the world could a sinner remember all of their sins? Everything they've done basically is sinful. The, the sinner doesn't confess his sins. The, consider, the sinner confesses Christ. Notice again that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So it's the sinner it's the when he comes to Christ and he believes that Jesus was raised from the dead And all that goes with it, obviously you'd have to believe that he is the son of God. You would have to believe that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood for our redemption. All of that is encompassed because the resurrection is the crowning event, the the apex of that entire experience where he went to the cross, he died, he was buried, but God raised him from the dead. And the sinner, when he believes that Jesus died for his sin and that God raised him from the dead, He doesn't then go about confessing his sins. He goes about confessing with his mouth that Jesus is Lord of my life. So you see, that's a very positive thing. And again, most Christians don't really understand the significance of it because it hasn't been really taught. So how in the world have people been saved? People have been saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and then usually praying a sinner's prayer. At some point in that prayer, they say, Lord Jesus Thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, they are calling Jesus their Lord. Amen. And that confession of Christ is what, is what clinches a person's salvation. So that's the first kind of confession. Notice it's not a negative confession of something bad or something wrong. It's a positive confession of what God has done. Amen. Amen. Then the, the second one of the three, there's only three that, that apply to the New Testament today or that apply to the church today. First is the confession of the Lordship of Jesus. And you know, I, I continue to confess Jesus as Lord. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's what got me saved, but I just love to confess his Lordship. I just love to call him Lord. Glory to God. Amen. So that's an ongoing confession. The second one is the believer's confession of sin whenever he does sin. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now there are people today who are alleging and they are completely 100% wrong. There's not even the there's not even a slightest nuance in this false doctrine. That's right. There's nothing about it that's right. And about what I'm about to say. There are people who allege that the first chapter of 1 John was not written to the church. That it was written to the unsaved, to to unbelievers. That is the most ridiculous doctrine or position anybody could take. This entire epistle was written to the church. if if I was going to write a letter to you and the bulk of the letter was all about you and and referring to things in your life and experiences we understand, if the letter was clearly written to you, if there was some portion of it that was written to somebody else, don't you think I would address that? Anybody would. Anybody would. This this epistle was written to the church, every word of it. Now, there are things in the epistles that refer to unsaved people and refer to how people are and what they need to do, but the letters were written to the church. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when a, so this was written, so often people will quote this verse that we just read when they're leading sinners to Christ. They'll say, well, you know, you need to confess your sins. This wasn't written to sinners. It was written to Christians, people who are already saved. You get, again, a person is saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing Jesus as Lord. But after a person is saved, even though we have been set free from sin, we still have the temptations of the flesh to deal with. And because of that, aren't you glad that God made provision for us So that when we do yield to temptation, when we do miss God's best, when we do disobey him, there is provision for our forgiveness. And so this was written to Christians. He said, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in verse 8 and verse 10, verse 8 and verse 10 have to be understood in light of verse number 9. Verse number eight says, well, let's start in verse number seven. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, how in the world could that be written to the unsaved? The unsaved don't walk, they don't walk in the light. They're not in the light. They don't have fellowship with with Christians in in, in this sense. This couldn't possibly be uh, written to the unsaved. Let's start in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, if if you're not walking in the light, if you're not walking in obedience, and you say that everything's okay, you're not telling the truth. He goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of his son, Christ Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is, in other words, whenever you do sin, whenever you do miss the mark, whenever you do disobey, if we say that we haven't sinned, we're just deceiving ourselves. And he said, you're not walking in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he reiterates in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What he's, he's, he's emphasizing the, the, the importance that when you miss it, you need to acknowledge it. Get in the habit, first of all, of obedience. Get in the habit of obeying God. Get in the habit of doing what you know to do. Get in the habit of living right. If, if there are areas in your life where you continually stumble, you know, James, over in the book of James, he said, we all stumble in many things. But that's not, that's not an encouragement to keep stumbling. If there's an area where you stumble, if there's an area where you continually miss God's best or disobey Him or yield to temptation, take note of those things and, and find out what the Bible says about those things, how to overcome. Amen. But, but that's, that's the first thing to do. But the next thing to do is while you're endeavoring to live a godly life, when you do miss it, confess your sin right away. Don't let the sun go down. Don't put it off. What happens when Christians, when Christians continually sin and they don't ask for forgiveness and when you ask for forgiveness, you receive forgiveness and when you receive forgiveness, then you thank God for it and you go on your way rejoicing in your restored fellowship. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Christ Jesus cleanses us from all sin. See, if, you, if you'll confess your sin when you immediately when you miss it, you're, you're, that fellowship will go unbroken. I mean, it'll be a little blip. It'll be a little uh, uh, pause, a little slight uh, incident. And you immediately say, oh, Father, forgive me. I, I, that was wrong. I know, you, Lord, I'm going to do better. I, I'm, I'm zeroing in on that area of my life and I'm, I'm taking authority over that. I thank you, Father. I confess that's wrong. And as soon as you, you don't even have to ask to forgive him to forgive you. All you have to do is just say, Father, I missed it. I thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Glory to God. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Well, as soon as he does that, you, you, you thank him for it and you put it behind you. If you don't do that, If you you sin, if you transgress in any way and you don't deal with it, it begins to build up in your life. A consciousness of sin and and missing the mark, a consciousness of failure, a consciousness of not measuring up begins to pile up on the inside of you in your conscience. Your conscience can become defiant. your conscience can come become defiled to the point that you become so discouraged, you, you'll, you'll eventually feel like just giving up. You'll feel like just throwing in the towel. I've, I've messed up so much. I've done so much wrong. I can't get this Christian life you know, right. I, I'm just never gonna be able to do this. That's how people backslide. It's because they don't deal with sin immediately. Confess it. Thank God for your forgiveness and go on rejoicing, knowing that it's put behind you and and God's not holding it against you and go on in fellowship with the Lord. Amen. Like he's, and and so he says again, if we say we haven't sinned, you're missing the mark. You're, you're making God a liar and you're a liar and, and you're not acting according to the word. Amen. Verse number one of chapter two says, my little children, well, he couldn't be talking to the unsaved. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That word propitiation just means satisfaction. He himself is the satisfaction for our sins. In other words, he is the one who satisfies the claims of justice against us when we sin. He himself is is the satisfaction for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So here he mentions the whole world, but the letter is written to us. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's who, he's, that's who he wrote the letter to. The hour is the Christian, the church. But he's also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. See, Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. When we fail God, when we take a misstep, when we violate uh, something that we know, that we uh, should do or should not do when we sin. Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. And he stands before the Father in perfect, total righteousness. And he doesn't, he doesn't deny you when you sin. He, let me say that better. He doesn't disown you when you sin. He sta- when you sin, he stands before the Father as your advocate. Even though you've done wrong, Jesus is right there before the Father in guarantee that his sacrifice on the cross is the satisfaction of your sin. And God sees what Jesus did and he acknowledges though this person failed, he's in Christ. Jesus is there to take your calls, to, to say your name, to, 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 to remind the Father, not, not that he needs to be reminded, but he's there as your advocate to say that you still, this one might have missed it, but he's still mine. He still belongs to me. He's still been washed in the blood. He's still been, he's born again. He's my child. He's your child, Father. He belongs to us. He's part of the family. Glory to God. He's our advocate before the Father. The Holy Spirit is our advocate on earth. Jesus is our advocate in heaven before the throne of God. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. So that, that makes it so easy when we miss it. Because if you feel like, I don't, know, I don't know everybody's religious background, but I know my background. I came up in a strict holiness uh, type movement. And we had, uh, I guess it was more of an unspoken or, or, uh, uh, not an, an unofficial idea that when we sinned, that our, our salvation was, was, uh, on shaky ground. That it didn't take much, you know, you didn't take much at all and you need to get saved all over again. Because, you know, if you, if you, if you sinned and, and you didn't confess your sin, if you died, you could go to hell. I mean, maybe not over one or two, but you get three or four, I mean, you're on your way to hell. <laughs> hey, well, that's not true at all. I said, that's not true at all. Well, it, it, that kind of, of a legalistic uh, mindset Will, will cause you to draw back from God when you sin because you feel like he's angry and that he's judging you and, and that he's disappointed in you. And what you need to understand is God is merciful. He's compassionate. No, he's not happy that you sinned, but he's not angry at you. The Bible says God understands that we are flesh. He understands the weaknesses. Jesus, as our advocate before the Father, says that he, the Bible also says he is our high priest and he can be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses because in every way we're tempted, he was also tempted. The only difference, he didn't sin, but he understands the temptation. And so he can be a faithful high priest and he can be a faithful advocate. So when you, when you understand that, it makes it easy whenever you, whenever you have a weak moment. And, and, the, and listen, the weakness is on us. We don't, we don't just have weakness imposed on us. We have weakness because we get out of the word, because we get out of fellowship with the Lord. We stop praising him, we stop praying, we start, stop uh, doing the things we know to do. That creates weakness in our life. And in a moment of weakness, self-imposed, self-caused, our own fault. In a moment of weakness, when we sin, we can be assured that God is right there. He's saying, "Come on back, come on back." Not not come on back in the sense that you're lost, but come to me. Don't run from me. Come to me, confessing your sin, and and, and the Bible says that that He will forgive you, cleanse you. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. And it says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Well, if he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, there wouldn't be any unrighteousness left. The moment you acknowledge, Father, that wasn't right. What I said to that person wasn't right. How I acted wasn't right. What I did wasn't right. And I acknowledge that. That was As soon as you do that, your, your, your righteousness is your your unrighteousness is completely vanished it's completely taken away glory to god and when you understand that you like i said you can go on in fellowship with the lord day in day out year in and year out always maintaining a close fellowship a close walk with the lord and if you'll do that you'll never backslide I can promise you, if you'll do what I'm talking about right here, immediately when you do wrong, confess your sin and then acknowledge that you're forgiven, glory to God, and that that Jesus is your advocate and your righteousness is is intact. When, When you do that, you will never, ever backslide. You couldn't possibly ever backslide. In fact, you'll never even grow cold and indifferent toward the things of God. If you'll do this, you will maintain a sensitivity to God and to his spirit. You will maintain a tender heart before the Lord. And I tell you, maintaining a tender heart with God is so important. When you maintain a tender heart, it's easy for the Holy Spirit to instruct you and guide you. But when sin begins to build up in your life, unconfessed sin. Now, I'm talking to uh, to Christians now. I know I know who I'm talking to. Sin, if it's, not, if it's not dealt with, will build up in your life. And it causes your heart to be hardened. Not only does it cause you to draw back from the Lord in fear, it hardens your heart, makes it even more difficult for the Holy Spirit to help you. Well, praise the Lord. Thank God he has given such an amazing provision. Well, take advantage of it. Amen. So that's the the believer's confession of sin. And then the confession of faith, we've already read it. Let's go back and look at it again. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. Verse number 14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession." Well, you can see right right easily that this isn't talking about a confession of sin. Because when we confess our sins, Scripture we just read, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we confess our sins, or or excuse me, 1 John uh, 1, 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, the Bible teaches us that when God forgives, he forgets. The Bible says our sins and iniquities he will remember no more. Well, if God, if when you confess your sin and God forgives and cleanses you, he puts it out of his mind, out of his memory. He said, I will not remember. Now, you and I don't have always have the ability to do that. I mean, just as soon as you try to not remember something, you'll just start remembering it all day long. Isn't that right? God, when he says, I will not remember it, he doesn't remember it. Well, it's it's not right for us to remind him about it because he's chosen not to remember it. So if we maintained, if we held fast to a confession of sin, we'd be constantly uh, fighting against God and against his grace by reminding him of our sins. Don't remind God of your sins and certainly don't remind other people of their sins. Amen. Parents, meddle a little bit here. When your children have done wrong and it's been dealt with, don't ever bring it up again. Don't remind them the rest of their life. Well, you remember what you did. That's, that's, not, that's not godly. That's not godly. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Just leave that there. So this this confession here, hold fast to our confession, couldn't be the confession of sin. So we have the confession of faith. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. We have another passage that's a parallel to this one. Let's start in verse number 19. Therefore, brethren Now this goes back to what I was just talking about. See, once you confess your sin, you you then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because you know that as soon as you confess that, he forgave you and cleansed you and everything is okay. You can come before the throne of God with absolute confidence But if you continue to confess your sins, your weaknesses, your failures, all of the times you've disappointed God, if you keep talking about those things and thinking about those things, you will build inside you a sin consciousness, a weakness consciousness, a failure consciousness, and you will not enjoy fellowship with the Lord. But if you'll do what he said in 1 John 1, 9, he said, we can, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, it would do you well if you have a newer King James, the older King James says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. If you have a newer one like the New King James or a modern translation, it will say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The reason there's a difference is the, in in the uh, world of biblical uh, academia, the people who study uh, Manuscripts and script, you know, Bible texts and all thing, all of these things. You do realize that we don't have any original documents of the Bible. None of the original documents exist; they're they're lost, or you know, or just don't exist anymore. All we have of the various books of the Bible are copies. They're called manuscripts, and they date back, uh, you know, pretty pretty close to the original source. But we don't have the originals. Some of the New Testament documents date back to the first century. And then there are other parts of the New Testament that the earlier, earliest documents are maybe a, a few centuries uh, later. And those are the earliest manuscripts. Well, in this, in this community of scholars who study these things, they like to, the, the prevailing attitude or the prevailing point of view is the earliest manuscript you can find is the most accurate. And generally, we would we could we can see the the uh, the correctness in that that makes sense. But because we don't have the original, and somewhere along the line there was a manuscript that said, "Let us hold fast the confession of our faith." There's some evidence that somebody before him, before that manuscript was copied, that somewhere along the line it said, "Let us hold fast the confession of our faith." So in more recent times. Scholars have found some earlier manuscripts that say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. But really, it's talking about the confession of our faith. Just like the King James translates it. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Glory to God. Well, what's it talking about when it says, hold fast the confession of your faith? Well, again, this is not the confession of sin. This is a confession of what you believe. So you have three kinds of confession that apply to the church age. One is the sinner's confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's positive. Then you have the Christian's confession of his sin. That's negative. And then you have the Christian's confession of his faith. That's positive. So Two of the of the three are positive and only one is negative. Now, that doesn't mean that the negative is wrong or bad. It's not. It's absolutely critical. And you've heard me in, in recent times illustrate it this way. If you have an automobile, you have a battery, it has a negative post and it has a positive post. If you disconnect either one of those cables, if, you're, if the car's running and you take either one of those cables off, the car's going to stop. If you have either one of those cables off, either the negative or the positive is not connected, you are not going to crank that engine. It takes the negative and the positive working together. Well, when it comes to confession in the Christian's life, we have to have the negative confession of our sin when we need it. We should be... he, He went on to say, remember... First uh, John chapter two, these things I write to you that, you that you will not sin. We're not supposed to be continually sinning. But that negative part is there when we need it. And just like a battery, you have to have the negative or the whole thing uh, uh, is inoperative. Well, our life, our Christian life won't work if we don't have the confession of sin, but just like with a battery, you have to have that negative side, the pow- but the power's on the positive side. The sparks are on the positive side. Isn't that right? That's where the power is. Well, when it comes to the Christian walk, we have to have the negative part of confession, but the power is in the positive side. The confession of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a confession of faith in God. The confession of our faith when it, when it comes to the things of God, whatever God has said, whatever the promises of God are, whatever he has, has said belongs to us today, what he has made real in our lives, when we continually talk about those things, confess those things, that's where the power lies. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for the confession of faith. So it's important that we understand that we are to hold fast to the confession of faith. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're grateful, Father, for for faith, the principles of faith. We thank you, Lord, for showing us in your word how your faith works. So faith is not, Father, it's not just some uh, sort of Idea out there that we are sort of in the dark and we just have to hope and try and cross our fingers and hope that we get it right. You've told us in your word, you show us exactly how faith works. And that in our words, the confession of our faith, how important that is, how important the confession of our sin is, and then how important the confession of our faith is. Keeping those things in their proper place. Father, is what causes our faith to be robust. It, it enables us, Lord, to lay hold of everything that belongs to us. Thank you for that, Lord. Oh, you're so good. You know, I've been living by faith for many, many years. I've, been, I've studied faith, lived by the principles of faith. But I am. I never cease to amaze. I'm, I never cease to be amazed. Is what I'm trying to say. At how wonderful the, the life of faith is, and how amazing it is. That that God would put our our relationship, His and ours, the relationship that we have with God, that he would put it on the basis of faith. Now, it's his grace that makes it available, but he puts it on the basis of faith. And then there's so much scripture in the New Testament that shows us how this faith life works because he wants us to live by faith. He shows us how to do it. And there's so much in the New Testament about it if, you, if we're not living by faith, it's just nobody's fault but our own. There's really no excuse to not have a robust, strong faith life where you pray and you believe and you receive and God answers and he moves and you have experience after experience and, 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 and uh, uh, evidence after evidence and testimony after testimony. Of God coming through. Glory to God. We should not be people. Who come to church and hear about faith. And wonder oh I wish I could get that to work for me. No. It's not hard at all. The reason people struggle with faith is because they, they, they operate too much out of the mental realm. Instead of out of the heart realm. Oh, glory to God. Keep your heart tender before God. Keep your heart tender before Him. And and walk in submission to Him. And fellowship with Him. Faith, faith. We know that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We know where faith comes from. But the the, uh, condition of the heart that nurtures faith is, is tenderness with God. Having a tender heart with God, fellowship with God. That life of fellowship is the, is the seedbed out of which faith grows strong. You know, if you have, if you have seed in the ground or a plant at home, if the soil's not good, your neighbor can have beautiful whatever the plant is. And you don't, well, there's something there's something wrong with the soil. You're not putting enough in the soil. Well, fellowship with God, having a tender heart, staying, staying in constant fellowship with Him is the, is the, the soil out of which The the faith that comes from the word, it gets in our heart and it grows and and our life begins to flourish. So stay close to God. Stay close to him. Oh, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Is there anyone here today looking over the congregation? I really don't see any visitors. Is there anybody here today that has a need in your life? Anyone here that you there could be somebody that would say, "Pastor, I, you know, you know me and church, but I I'm I've drifted away from the Lord. I'm not where I should be with God." You know, you can come back. You can get back into fellowship really quick. If that's you, I want you to I want all of us just to bow our, our head right now. And and I want you if you have missed it, If you know that there is disobedience and so forth in your life, I want you to do right now, while we're all just in an attitude of prayer, just quietly in your own heart, but with your own lips and and so forth, I want you to just say, Father, I confess. And then call that thing, whatever it is, just confess it right now before God. Glory to God. He is faithful. He is just to forgive and to cleanse. Right now. Right now. Right? It doesn't take a long time. Unless you've got like 700 sins. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's real quick. Praise God. Now just thank Him for it. Just thank Him for it. Let's all lift our hands and thank God for forgiveness. Glory to God. For restoration. For fellowship. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.